Now, I know our time is almost gone here, so we're going to look at one verse tonight. One verse, and this verse only has, get this, it only has nine words. I want you to say it out loud together with me. Ready? Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Say it again. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Turn to the person next to you and whisper it to them. Go. Be therefore followers of God. Nine words. You can say it in seven seconds. Your teens can text it in three seconds, okay? Nine words that literally can change your life. Be. It's an action word. Be being. Be something. Don't be satisfied to be nothing. Continue to be praying and be giving and be serving. Continue to be loving and to be kind. Be an active Christian. Don't be satisfied to reach some plateau or get mediocre in your Christian life, okay? Always, always strive for excellence. Be. If you are a B Christian, you don't even know how to spell the word apathy. I get asked a lot, how do you deal with all the apathetic teens? I said, I've never met one. They're very passionate about not caring, okay? And, and honestly, if you're a big Christian, you understand what it means to love God with all your heart and to do all to the glory of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to live. Say the first two words with me. Ready? Be ye. Now, as you know, ye is the plural form of you. I lived 30 years in North Carolina. Now I live 10 years or more in New England. So I have become um, uh, bilingual, okay? I go to Bahaba, y'all, okay? So in the South, I don't know if you do it here, but in the South, the plural form of ye is all y'all. Say it with me. All y'all. All y'all be. Did you know that uh, David Livingston sacrificed so much and God used him to open up the, whole, the heart of Africa? Dwight O. Moody, whose birthplace and gravesite is maybe an hour from my home. And from what I understand, God used him to get this, to see over one million people trust Christ. Did you know that Moody and Livingston are dead? But you guys aren't. And especially your young people and your teens. Mom, Dad, do you think that maybe God wants to use you and your pastor and your church and maybe visits to a camp and mission trips, to so put a love into one of your young people that they become the next Whitfield or Wesley or Edwards to see a great revival come? When God asked Paul to write this verse down, there's not one of us in this room that can say it doesn't impact our lives. Be therefore. Now, whenever you see a therefore, your pastor has taught you, you always have to look back to see what it is. Therefore. Very good. And the book of Ephesians, oh, it's like a gold mine, okay? Not quite as much gold as you have out in your Gaga pit, but it's a gold mine. Or for little kids, it's a treasure chest or a toy box, okay? You start digging in, there's so much there. The forgiveness of sins in chapter 1, verse 7. Knowing that we're saved by the grace of God, not of works so we don't boast. Being empowered with His might. And we can go on and on and on. And Paul is saying because of Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, therefore... Because God has given you all these wonderful, wonderful things. God says, I have something I want you to do. I want you to be a follower, a mimesis, an imitator of God. Now, you cannot imitate anything that you do not understand and know very, very well. So to imitate God 
You have to know him well. How well do you know God? Do you know just about God? Or do you know God? Do you just know some facts about him? Or have you studied his life and truly even seek to understand his heart? So I'm in a plane in Manchester, New Hampshire, flying to Detroit, getting ready to go somewhere to preach. And, and we're sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And finally I asked the flight attendant, we're going to leave because we got a problem. I'm going to miss my next flight. She said, well, we have a runaway. What's a runaway? 15-year-old girl ran away from home. The police caught her in New Hampshire. They had her <clears throat> in the airport, and they're going to bring her on the plane. And then when we get to Detroit, the police will come and take her off the plane. There were two empty seats in front of me and one right next to me. So I quick moved over against the window, and I said, Lord, have her sit right by me. So this kid comes in. She's got an attitude so obvious. She looked at the first seat, next one, looked at me, looked at the seat, plopped down next to me. I said, hey, how you doing? Whatever. Okay, okay, okay. She had an attitude. And then I pretended to ignore her. And I had already had my yellow tablet out, and I was working on some staff training stuff. And what I did is uh, I, I simply was trying to draw a tree. Now, I can't draw at all, and it didn't even look this good. And I, I just drew this tree, and I did all the little apples in it. And she's looking at me like, this guy's like really weird, just sitting here drawing trees, okay? And then very slowly, very methodically, uh, I, I just started doing some call-outs, like hurt and lonely and unloved, unforgivable and fearful and depressed, guilty and angry and bitter, hopeless, suicidal, just, just one at a time, just thinking through. And after the longest time, this girl looks at me, she goes, what's that? I said, it's a tree. I did, Really? She said, no, really, what is it? I said, I know I can't draw, but it's a tree. Got it? I said, what does it look like to you? And she said this. It looks like me. So I'm at camp working, actually doing some maintenance projects. I get this call. We don't even have camp in session. It's some parents. They said, our daughter is freaking out in rebellion. We don't know what to do. She does love you and loves camp. Maybe she'll open up to you. We threw her in the car. We're on our way. They're driving an hour to get to camp. So by the time I get to my office, the mom was there. I said, where's your daughter? She said, she won't talk to you. She's locked herself in the car. I said, would you have the keys? She goes, oh, I didn't think about that. So gave me the keys, hit that little button. I plopped down behind the steering wheel. I remember she looks over. She goes, oh, brother. And by this time, I had exactly what you're looking at on my laptop. And I said, hey, I want to show you something I'm working on. I slid it over next to her. And I said, what does that look like? She said the same exact thing that the other girl said. She said, it looks like me. And then this girl came to camp, I think it was two summers ago. She was 17, and she had already tried to commit suicide three times. I shared this with the teens earlier today. Well, a couple of kids, the third time the girl ended up in the hospital, and some teen girls went and visited her, invited her to church, and guess what? She came to church, and she trusted Christ. I'm telling you, folks, you need to invite these teens and kids to church. So because of the suicide attempts, they needed me and wanted me to counsel with her. And when I showed her this, she said the same thing. She said, it looks like me. You know what's sad about this? Those three girls had it tough. And I'm in a church where many of you have been here since the beginning of this church. Some of you have been Christians for 30 and 40 years. 
You faithfully come to church. And yet still, we sit here and you look up and you go, but Rand, uh, a lot of that looks like me. Because I'm depressed and lonely. I feel unforgivable at times and I really struggle with bitterness and anger in my heart. If this is the fruit in your life, if this is you, and that's only you know this between you and God, if this is the real you, then did you know I already know something about your theology? I do. I already know what you believe about God. Things like God doesn't love me. I remember thinking that for many years, coming in a very difficult home. And I always knew that God was a God of love. But I, he only loved you good people that went to church all the time. Why would he love me? I never even heard the words I love you growing up. I didn't love me. Why would God love me? Or something like, God would never ever forgive me. I'm not shocked, but I am amazed how many of our faithful churchgoers have a secret sin that they freak out if everybody knew. And they've, over, they've been in this sin so much that they even wonder if God would forgive them. Feelings like I'm all alone and there's no reason to live. God doesn't care. I just want to die. God's too busy to mess with me. God is a thousand miles away. Why do we think this way? Why do so many even believers struggle with this? Did you know every single one of these are lies? Everyone, Satan is not very creative. What he tried to do in the Garden of Eden, he continues to do today. All he wants to do is get you to stop believing that God is who he says he is. That's it. To doubt God's goodness and his love and his kindness. Do you know why we think this? It's because we have the wrong concept of God. And we know about God, but we don't really, really know God because a, pro, a wrong and improper view of God produces bad fruit. I grew up with those thoughts. I really did. We went to the wilds in 1978. We had our son, Josh. Then we had a little boy that died at birth. He's buried in a little cemetery not far from the wilds in North Carolina. We're expecting our third, and I remember when Amber came back from the doctor, she was crying. I said, what's wrong? She said, we're going to lose this one, too. I remember losing it. I did. I'm walking up that dirt road at the time. I said, okay, God, what in the world? I can't even work more hours. Why are you so angry with me? What do I need to do to finally get you to accept me? When I got home, I plopped in a chair, and I said, God's mad about something. Amber said, no, he's not. He doesn't care. He's a thousand miles away. Okay, folks, I was blinded to my problem. But when Amber said that, I at least knew First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. I said, hon, we don't know God. I wasn't saying that we weren't even trusting Christ for our salvation. And we knew a lot about God. But we didn't know the true God of the Bible. Why would we think that way? I was raised in one of the most angry homes that you could ever imagine. Threats on our life, holding the pillow over my head so I didn't hear mom scream when dad beat her. I thought every kid in the world grew up that way. Amber, some teenager, had her. She was put in foster care, adopted out. And then when she was only seven, her daddy died. Her mom never, ever got married again. 
Amber spent her entire life without a dad. I grew up with a very angry father. Do you know where we get our you know where these guys get their concept of God? From you, Dad. It's a lot of pressure. It's good pressure. Do you see why it's important that we are godly, Christ like? And so often we grow up and get into our 20s and 30s and even later later years in life and never overcome this wrong concept of God. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, that God did a work in our hearts. I went to Ken Kyer. I said, I'm a mess. I'm in trouble. I need help big time. I was scared. My anger was out of control. I was so afraid that Amber would leave me. I pretended everything was right. And he told me, you don't know God. I knew that David was a man after God's own heart. and David had his problems. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to go to the Psalms. Now, I was broken. I was scared. Okay? I was 27 years of age at the time. So what I did is I got up extra early and spent from 5.30 to 7.30 every morning, get this, for 18 months in the book of Psalms. My Bible, blank notebook, God is my high tower, God is my shepherd, God is my friend. My God is strong, my God is patient. Whoa, with me? And all of a sudden, as I started to get to know God and who he really was, my entire life started to change. After six months, my wife said, Rand, something's different about you. I mean, when you're raised in a difficult home, you don't cry, you don't laugh, you hold all your emotions in. Now I get like choked up at supermarket openings, you know. Everything has changed now. And the issue is, you don't fix the bitterness and the anger and the fear of not being forgiven. That's not what you go after. Those are fruits of the root that you do not know your wonderful, holy, forgiving, loving, patient God very well. So what do you do? You spend your life pursuing your knowledge of God. Learn a new attribute of God every week. Dig into the book of Psalms. Write your own biography of God as you walk through the book of Psalms. It'll change your life. But I want you to know that's not the only tree I showed these kids and hundreds of others. I showed them this tree, which is loving and happy and unselfish, joyful and content, secure, kind, peaceful, self-controlled, patient, respectful. And when I showed the girls this one, again, they said the exact same thing. They go, oh, that's what I want to be. Wouldn't it be cool, Mom, when your kids left home, that they said, oh, my mom is the most loving, joyful unselfish person I know. Wouldn't it be great, Dad, if when your kids are grown and have kids that you're, and they're telling their kids, your granddad, man, this guy, he was one of the kindest, peaceful, patient men I've known in my entire life. You can have this kind of fruit. Where does it come from? Your theology. It comes from believing that God is who he says he is. That God loves me. Do you really believe that God loves me? Do you really believe God loves you? I hope so. Or things like God promises to forgive me and he's always there for me. I have a purpose in life. God really cares. 
God helps me. God's in control of my life. And God wants the best for my life. Say it with me. God wants the best for my life. You really, really believe this. Because this is the God of the Bible. And as you start to know your God, that He cares, and He's with you, He'll protect you, He'll provide for you, He'll strengthen you. I'm telling you, folks, it totally changes your life. A right and proper view of God produces good fruit. So don't be a behavioral scientist. Don't psychoanalyze yourself and figure out what needs to change that you can live a happier life. No, 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 no. Pursue God. Teach your kids to pursue God. Teach your kids a new characteristic of God every single week of your life. Be ye, therefore, followers of God. Say the last three words with me. As dear children. And it literally means as dearly loved children. Kids are great. I don't know if you know this, but second grade, you're at the height of your intelligence. It's downhill from there, okay? I mentioned that one time, and a teacher for second graders sent me some notes that second graders wrote to God. Dear God, I didn't think orange went well with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. That's what my mom did for me and my brother. Dear God. I bet it's really hard to love everybody in the whole world. There's only four people in our family, and I'm having a hard time loving all of them. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was that an accident? Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Dear God, of all the people who work for you, I like Noah and David the best. Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but I think you got confused because what I prayed for was a puppy. (laughs) Do you know why little kids can write notes like this to God? Because to them, God is real and he's everything he promises to be. You see, Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he what? Is. He is everything His precious Word says He is. He is loving and forgiving. He is just and holy. He is a wonderful, wonderful God. And is the rewarder of them that make lots of money. Is that what it says? Mm -mm. He's the rewarder of them that are very popular. Mm -mm. He's the rewarder of them that work really, really hard. Nope, nope. He's the rewarder of them that seek Him diligently. Spend your life pursuing your knowledge of God. Be ye, therefore, followers, imitators of God as dearly loved children. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm just going to pray for all of us and give it to the pastor because all of us need to grow in this. All of us can learn more and more and more. His word is inexhaustible. His ways are past finding out. We'll have an eternity learning more and more of God's glorious perfection. It's going to be so good. But it doesn't happen by just coming here Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. You can't treat 
your devotional life like drive through McDonald's to find something fast, quick, and easy. It tastes good, and you're done. Checklist, got it. Spend time, five minutes with God. It takes time. Dedicated time. Sacrificial time where you lay something else in life aside so you can spend this wonderful time with God. 